Joseph. And I'm Nick. Oof. This is Fish Jelly. Welcome to the Theater of Blood. Oh. How are you? <laughs> uh, I'm good. How are you? Okay. You were up a little late last night. Who? You. I, there, work to do, Vanessa. <laughs> That's a reference to Vanessa Williams. I believe 1995 single work to do. <laughs> um, well, last night we... We tried a new restaurant mm-hmm. in Silver Lake. By accident. <laughs> By accident, because you had intentions to try... Alimento. Which were, good, which were good intentions because it was early. Like, we were going to arrive at this restaurant, an Italian restaurant in Silver Lake at 6 o'clock without reservations. Which, you know... The restaurant was empty, but the lady's like, well, we have a bunch of reservations at 7. So you can sit at the bar where there's no room for your knees. <laughs> I hate... First of all... I just, I don't like how a lot of these restaurants, especially in like trendier areas that are already overpriced because of the location and then the seating is not comfortable to begin with. So, and a good example would be like Bottega Louie. Oh yeah. There's one in downtown LA. There's one in West Hollywood. Known for their macarons. The seating is so uncomfortable. These hard ass, low ass tables and these like hard wicker chairs. And then the tables are so close together the same thing with that restaurant you wanted to try last night. The seating was so close together. Mm-hmm. Just normal dining room seating. And then to sit at a bar where it's like my knees are going to hit the counter. I have to like awkwardly turn like RuPaul on the judges panel to try to talk to you. Mm-hmm. And then spend a hundred dollars. Like I just, I don't know. I don't know how this became a thing that. I can't recall the last time I was in a restaurant where I thought it was exceptionally comfortable. Like, we had a nice, cushy booth. Oh. Well... Masa. I always feel comfortable there. Uh, I like Masa, and I think the decor feels very, like, warm and homey. Yeah. But I don't know that I think... You're still sitting very close to the people next to you. If it's busy. Yeah. Um, I was going to say that one chain restaurant at the Grove that just closed down, Maggiano's. Mm-hmm. They have... It's more. It's very big in there. Yes, and they have nice booth seating. But yeah, all these new trendy restaurants. Mm-mm. I'm not paying a hundred dollars for the two of us to have a quick dinner, and I'm like sitting crouched over some bar. No. <laughs> or do I sound rigid? I no, I was just having a memory of a, a waitress uh, like bucking, making chicken noises at you. <laughs> oh, we were at some sort of Asian restaurant. No, it was a ramen restaurant. Was it ramen? It was, which, yes. Oh, yeah. look, you tried to hem me up. <laughs> yeah, we were at a ramen, and the the menu, I couldn't decipher it because it wasn't in English, and I'm asking her, like, what kind of meat is in this soup? And her English wasn't good, but she just, she she just started clucking at clucking. me. And I'm like, and I didn't recognize. I did. I did. And then I was like, yeah, it'll be fine with chicken. Yeah, I, I guess if like, someone said, can you make a chicken sound? I, I don't know what I think this, a chicken sounds this like. This poor woman is performing. <laughs> and I'm looking at her like, are you okay? Oh, God. Um, moving on. So this weekend, uh, 12 years ago, for Colored Girls was released. Oh, and I was reminded by Facebook because there's a picture of me in front of the poster. We saw that movie at Block E in downtown Minneapolis. Mm-hmm. I have fond memories of Block E. Yes. Yeah. We, we saw that a couple times in the theater, though. We did seek for colored girls more than once in the theater. Um, yeah. God, 2010. She had two movies that year. What was the other one? Why Did I Get Married 2 was also 2010. Oh. 
like earlier in the year, like April. So I probably saw that at Blocky. <sighs> probably. For people who don't know, downtown Minneapolis, there's a skyway system <clears throat> because in the winter it's very cold and to prevent people from having to go outside, most of the buildings are connected by the, these tunnels that are, you know, above ground. So it's called a skyway and they're um, made of like their windows. So you can see the city as you walk through. And I remember when I first, when I moved to Minneapolis, I was in a relationship and then I became single. So I was, you know, on my own. And like Patty LaBelle. And then ultimately I moved down like close to downtown and worked near downtown. So I would spend a lot of time in the skyway and I have a lot of fond memories of just like walking the skyway, going to see movies, eating the gym I would go to was in the skyway. A lot of the shopping I did, of course there was a target in the skyway. So I spent a lot of time. Yeah. I remember there was a Hooters. Mm. And a friend of mine would meet, he wouldn't go to the gym with me, but he would meet me after I was done with the gym and we would go eat at Hooters. Mm -hmm. So I would work out and then go eat a bunch of like chicken tenders and French fries. As we did when we were dating and going to whatever gym that was, we would always do that too. I mean, that's kind of the fun part of, you know, clearly I don't go to the gym thinking I'm going to be ripped. It's just. I think we're, well, I'll speak for myself. I feel very lucky that I have no problem being, um, like exercise is not a problem. Mm -hmm. Like I can just do it every day. Like at the same time, I don't need to be motivated. So it's probably just a routine, mm -hmm. a habit. Yeah. But yeah, I, I don't work out because I think I'm going to have a six pack. So I'm very happy to eat <laughs> crap food after I work out. <laughs> um, but anyway... So, did you see on TikTok, uh, this was like, what, a week and a half ago, how Madonna did that video implying she's gay? Oh, yes. And then a couple of the podcasts I listened to, people were like very angry, thinking that she's like... People have very strong feelings about it. I, I, don't, I don't have strong feelings about it other than the, like, if she's exploring her sexuality. I think she's always left that door open or insinuated that she Yeah, has. I'm confused why people are like want to think something because, I mean, I remember her from when I was a kid. So it's been 30 plus years of me witnessing the marketing of Madonna. So her being sort of like, you know, causing a stir with her sexuality seems very normal. I just feel like, you know, that that's such a, I, she still does like men, I'm assuming. So I don't know that she could say she's gay, but I, I think the whole production and performance of how she does things now is so ridiculous that it's, it's just, uh, I can just roll my eyes. <laughs> yeah, I, I think it's more sort of like, this is a mature-ass lady out here playing these little games. It's like, I, I, I guess I, I, I wish she would have become more like, what would be really interesting is if Madonna became very refined mm -hmm. and like chic, but then spoke very openly and very, like, that would make people's jaws drop. Or, or she doesn't even have to be that refined. You could be like Sandra Bernhard. Who I think is also, I don't think she's the smartest Sandra Bernard. <laughs> she's not, but, but yes, I would. but but how she speaks and how she's just like I don't give a fuck, and this is what I'm doing with my life, and that's kind of what I'm saying too. Yeah, yeah. like like like, but but I just wish that she wouldn't run around wearing like these designer clothes that are very like I don't know. She's altered her body in a way, and she can do whatever she wants, but it of course. But considering how she's sort of tried to play this role of like she's like I, I don't know. 
I, I get the sense that Madonna think wants to be like Sharon Stone. Like she wishes she could be a smart Sharon Stone or something. Yeah. I don't know. That's the impression I got from her for decades. Is like she really wants to be. Like it's okay that you're just Madonna. this really fun performer who's very open, and you don't have to be a genius, and you don't have to have something provocative or. Um, enlightening to say every time you open your mouth you right. can just be yourself you can just be yourself maybe be you know be more like beyonce and only choose to speak at certain times <laughs> but the reason i'm bringing madonna up is because tmz caught cassandra peters peterson elvira mm-hmm. like out in the streets and they asked her about madonna mm-hmm. because of course elvira came out as a lesbian a couple of years ago i believe mm-hmm. in her memoirs yes but Elvira was like, oh, yeah, I'm not surprised because several many years ago, she hit on my now partner. Mm-hmm. They were dating at the time. So Cassandra and her partner, Teresa, have been together for like 20 years. So they were together when Madonna um, approached Teresa saying that she she wanted to hire her for like personal to be her personal trainer. I guess that's what that lady did back then. It may still do that. And that Madonna implied that she wanted more of the personal part of oh okay. that's how cassandra worded it so she was just saying like i've been done been known that madonna is like well what what about the, uh was it the vmas where she made out with britney and christina back in t- what year was that 2002 three? i don't think it's that interesting and certainly not enough for people to be mad in fact it feels kind of dated for madonna with all the things she's done as provocative as she's been it's like if that lady if that 60 year old lady wants to throw some panties in the trash can to say she's gay <laughs> It's so to weird. Me, okay. To me, when, when I first saw it, I just thought, oh, this is just her showing support for the LGBTQIA2S plus community. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't think it was like her queer baiting or... I don't think she's queer baiting. I, I, like, I just thought like she's just, she's always kind of been very I, gay friendly. I, and... I think she just always, she likes shock value. In the, but this isn't shocking. I don't so. think it's that shocking. Like, it's not. Yeah. But that's that's always been that's been her mo. That was her bread and butter, right? In the early nineties, that's how. Yeah. She became solidified in the zeitgeist. Moving on, I saw that the New York Post was talking about this survey that was conducted about the sexiest, the world's sexiest bald man. Oh yeah. And so, like this search engine, this SEO company did like they they collected data specifically based on online searches like the the golden ratio like that idea that like your face length has to be like one and point something times greater than your face width and the distance between your eye blah 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 that combined with uh twitter analysis of like um connected to the individuals and then the person's net worth and height. <laughs> net wolf. Yeah, okay. yeah, I know. But they, they came up with so a this study. For, for uh, gold diggers? <laughs> yeah, so it's basically like the hottest, uh, the sexiest bald man for gold diggers. But I'm going to read you the top 10 list. So okay. can, can you guess who might be on the list before I read the top 10? Bruce Willis. Okay. Um, can you think of any other baldies? Ed, Ed Harris. Okay. Vin Diesel. Okay. Does... Dwayne Johnson count? Okay, sure. Let's here. Let's go through. Let's see if you're on the right track. Okay. Number ten, Mike Tyson. He's only number ten. Oh, you put him higher? Yeah. Oh. Number nine, Dwayne the Rock Johnson. Oh, he should be higher. Number eight. I'm surprised he's not number one. Joe Rogan. Uh, Joe Rogan. He does. He has a very popular podcast, but, but he's he used of... to be the host of Fear Factor. 
Oh, yeah, no, not for me, but okay. Number seven, Bruce Willis. Okay. Who, did you see that he's like the first celebrity to sell his image to like a deep fake company? Yeah, does he know what he signed? I don't, yeah, does he know what he did? I don't know if is he needs that money a, like that did, that. did that aphasia kick in? Where's Demi? Where's the <laughs> children he has? Where's that potato-faced daughter of his? <laughs> rumor, help rumor help your daddy. <laughs> number six, Jason Statham. Oh, yeah, okay. Okay, number five is throwing me off. Prince William. <clears throat> uh, doesn't, does he completely shave his head? I don't know, but he looks like... He's looking like his daddy, which is not he good. He looks like he's been drinking water. That That's had, the older brother, right? Like, yeah. He's no, the William, William's Henry is the more attractive. He's the more redhead one. Married to Meghan Markle. Meghan, married to Meghan. No, Prince William's the one who's... Yeah. Uh, yeah, no, not for, not for Number me. Number four, Pitbull. <laughs> the entertainer, not the dog. Number three, Shamar Moore. Oh, yes. Okay. Is Num- Boris on there? No. <gasps> Boris Kojo's not on this list? He, throw, must, he must be broke. Throw it out the door. Yeah. Throw, it out the, throw this list away. Throw I don't, list I don't fucking want it. Boris Kojo's not out here. Yeah. Number two, Stanley Tucci. Oh, yeah, Stanley's handsome, yes. Number one, Vin Diesel. <laughs> how did Vin Diesel... Am I, am I in the upside down? Well, what because is... how did Vin Diesel beat The Rock? Because The Rock has more money than Vin Diesel. And The Rock is taller than Vin Diesel. And, and I would argue The Rock is more handsome does, than does Vin Diesel. Does personality Di- not matter at all? And then if you count personality, I don't know. Oh, someone to barely miss the top ten was Ms. Uh, Floyd Mayweather. Oh, well, I'd prefer, He's super rich. I prefer Mike But he's short. So, I don't, yeah, I mean, I guess. Um, and then, of course, Mr. Clean's not on here, so I don't know how this makes sense. But anyway. <laughs> well, we didn't count cartoons, I guess. Okay, so there was a question uh, asking, because uh, we got this question more than once because people are under the impression we have a very clean house. So they were asking about how do we keep the house clean with the cat, specifically like the cat litter, I guess. Oh, yeah, yeah. So first of all, the cat is hairless, so there's no hair anywhere. Right. And we've had, she's our sixth. One, two, three, four, five, six. That's why her middle name is six, yes. Sphinx cat. And I would say she's probably the least, like, oily. Yeah. Because I feel like before, like, our bed sheets are, Mm -hmm. to be, well, to be clear, though, the Aggie doesn't really, our cat doesn't ever really sleep in our bed. The other ones would. Yeah, well, like we, we live in a with enough space where we can kind of uh, tether her to certain parts parts of the house. Yeah, in our current house, you know, because she has to go up and down four stories, I feel like she kind of keeps to like two. Well, we used to live in a loft where it's just like there was no option but to let the cats do what they want. Yeah, in one situation, the yeah, they, yeah, when we were in the loft, we couldn't lock them up anywhere, so they were everywhere. But she stays. The cat sleeps, there's a bathroom off of the kitchen, mm-hmm. and that's where we put her at night. And then during the day, she's usually in the guest room. She likes the guest room, yeah. The only time she's in our bedroom, which is on the top floor, is in the morning. She'll wake us up. Yep. But she doesn't really ever sleep up there. She likes to be up there because our bedroom is the only room where the sun shines in. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of sunshine, and she likes to like luxuriate mm-hmm. in the sun. <laughs> So she'll do some sunbathing, like, late afternoon. <laughs> yeah, four, four or five, yeah. But just in general, she seems cleaner. She also is the one cat we've had, of all the hairless cats, who it seems like... It's obvious when she needs a bath, which is every few weeks. Yeah, probably every three weeks. Because she'll start to smell kind of whatever, but she probably is the least smelly of them. 
Because before, it'd be like once a week. Yeah, they were like, they need a bath bad. But as far as litter, we use the Tidy Cats brand. They have something called Breeze, mm-hmm. which is a system. So you have to buy the, the container, and then there are these pellets, these like little anhydrous pellets, mm-hmm. meaning that they are like these little rocks, pellets, that are too big to get stuck onto her paws. Because, you know, normal litter sucks because it's so tiny that when they get out of the litter box, it's just, just everywhere. It scatters everywhere, yeah. These pellets are big. I mean, they're as big as one of her little bean pads on mm-hmm. her paw. So, she they, they never stick to her. The only time they come out of the litter box is sometimes when she's really flinging the litter. Yeah. It'll fly out. Yeah. But even at her worst, maybe like three or four will fly out. And they're easy to clean up. And they're yeah. easy, you can easily pick them up. But the rocks are anhydrous, so when she pees... They don't, the pellets don't absorb the urine. They go straight through like a grate and then there's like a pad at the bottom. Mm-hmm. And, and how often do you change the pad? Probably every two weeks. Oh, every two weeks? Yeah. They last that long? The so pa- Yeah, don't buy generic pads. Those last Oh, like we learned years. the hard way. Yeah, we bought, well, not because we were being uh, cheap, but because there was a shortage during the, supplier the was pandemic. Out. Yeah, the supply, due to supply chain issues, we had to buy generic pee pads and those things after a couple days she would because our cat if she doesn't like the litter she will take a shit outside her box yeah with, with the quickness oh, like yeah. <laughs> she's like i'm not going in there it doesn't take much for her to get funky about her litter box so we use the tidy cats breeze system um and then in our office there's a bathroom inside and mm-hmm. that's where her litter box stays mm-hmm. so that's why our house doesn't smell like a cat because she's pretty clean her litter is like away from the living area. And mm-hmm. then the breeze system, I think, does a really good job mm-hmm. of mitigating. The only downside is when she poops, the pellets are big. So they cover the, the poop, mm-hmm. but not so much that the, completely the poop stinks until it is dry. Mm-hmm. So when she takes a shit, it smells for like 30 45. It's like uh, John Witherspoon and Friday. Like, don't come in here for a good 25, 35, 45 minutes. <laughs> but yeah, so I would highly recommend it. Also, I think we you probably spend less money on the breeze system than you did back when we had to buy litter. Yeah. Because we were scooping out litter constantly. Well, yeah, because the whole stuff, it gets contaminated. Like, all of it gets, the batch gets contaminated, you know, so. Yeah, and then every time she uses it, I mean, you're scooping out a ton of product. Moving on, sorry to this man section. You have Kiki Palmer and Bill Murray on here? Yeah, if you remember that Aziz Ansari film that stopped shooting because of an incident with Bill Murray, and then it was, there were all these news stories that said it was because he pulled Kiki Palmer's hair, which is not oh. true. She never responded about any of that. She never confirmed it. And since, I think, somewhere, sometime over the past few weeks, it was revealed that uh, it was, uh, I don't know if it was a PA, somebody else on set that he... Uh, physically, he thought he was joking, but I, I don't know if he like was grabbing her or straddled her or something. But it, oh, was, wow. it wasn't Kiki Palmer. Okay, um, so clarifying that. But uh, that all came out, I, I think I happened to read more about that because Gina Davis um, is publishing her memoirs and she uh, details a really awkward experience with Bill Murray on the set of Quick Change. Wait, who's the actor? Gina Davis. Gina Davis. Um. And it kind of bummed me out having to read about that because Quick Change was always that was a 1990 movie um, that I have fond memories of that I, I that I think is quite funny. And I remember I was thinking like, why wasn't Sigourney the lead in it? Because 
those two got along so well and they had just done Ghostbusters 2. Like maybe because she was oh, pregnant. Oh, um, just because you said the word actor to describe... Um, oh, who, who did you just say wrote the memoir? Gina. Gina Davis. You just used the word actor to describe Gina Davis. I received several comments, people upset, that I referred to the trans female actor in Hellraiser as an actor. Like, as if I was misgendering this person. And that is, I would not deliberately do that. I call male or female actors, actors. I think actors, we're, we're heading into an era where no matter what anybody identifies, actor is the standard because it's not, we're, actress, I think, you know, even in the awards, the, the critics groups I'm a part of, we're, we're moving away from actor and actress binary categories um, and, and to performer, you know. Well, I just wanted to be clear that I wouldn't deliberately like misgender this person. I refer to all actors, <clears throat> male, female, non-binary as actor. However, if this person prefers to be called actress, then of course I would call her an actress. But I just wanted to say that. Uh, the other, sorry to this man is we... Oh, I didn't finish talking about Gina Davis. Oh, sorry, anyway, go on. Uh, so she detailed that she had a meeting with Bill Murray in his uh, hotel room, uh, I believe, before filming started, and he insisted on using this massager on her. Oh, I think I read about this. Yeah, and then he embarrassed her on the first day of set by screaming at her in front of everybody, and nobody said anything. And I think a line she wrote, and I'm paraphrasing something about with profound sadness, she realized she wasn't kind of powerful enough to you know, stick up for herself. And it's like, he, this is a, a beautiful incredibly smart person and she had just won an Oscar and still she felt yeah but that's the sad part because I believe that I mean it makes sense to me that she would feel like if she said like I'm sure she was going through the range of feelings of like if I say something I'm going to be labeled as difficult it's going to ruin my career who knows this man who I'm going to like um uh defend myself against who knows who he has under his thumb. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So yeah, it makes sense that even this beautiful, successful actor is afraid. I know, but it's just, a, you know, because look at how they, came, they treated Kim Basinger in the tabloids in the early 90s and be, as being labeled difficult. And she was just trying to advocate for herself for better roles. Yeah, but look at how female entertainers, like how easily they were labeled as difficult Oh, Judy Garland. I mean, it goes back to and they were the probably just Hollywood, advocating yeah. for very basic things, yeah, like don't just... fucking touch me, run me my money on time. I like, don't, I don't, don't keep me waiting. I don't want to fuck you for this role, thing. right? You. Things uh, that nowadays we would, you know, hopefully consider to be like appropriate to speak up against. But it's like it's so if if we were to take inventory from decades past and see how poorly, you know, it, it's it's funny because you you see all these men, all these actor, these male actors uh, talking like kind of making snarky comments about intimacy coaches, like, which is, you know, in the wake of Me Too. I think there's nothing wrong with that. Like, you are acting. You're not really being It's a job. It's a job. Uh, Just like my job, like, I expect there to be a certain behavior and certain standards. That's kind of wild. And it's a very tricky subject. You're, you're imitating, you know, one of the most intimate acts between humans, whether or not it's, you know... Well, this is... Anyway, well, I was going to say working in Las Vegas and, you know, being in the casinos and this was, you know, 20 years ago, but it's precarious because being on the casino floor, 
there are cocktail servers who are all scantily clad. And then the business of sex is sold in a casino. We have very sexy shows. You know, most of the resident shows in a casino, they have two performances, like the the before dinner and the after dinner. And the after dinner usually is topless. So I, I think a lot of times the men who would work in these places felt like the environment allows them to be inappropriate. And so to me, it, that, it feels like People are probably like that on set too. Like, well, this isn't a normal job, so I don't have to behave. Right. No, normally. that's not true. Yes. Like, just because I'm dressed with my legs showing and my cleavage out, that doesn't mean you can comment on me, touch me, whistle. Like, do your damn job. Bust these tables. Run me these drinks. Like, you, and it's the same thing. Like, just because we're simulating a sex scene, we I need to feel comfortable. Mm -hmm. I need to feel safe. I think some people just... I also think it's really creepy that's and Patrice O'Neill, who I always reference, remember he has that bit about like we think that like the TSA workers and the that these people aren't creepy, but it's like some people take jobs because they have access to things. Yeah. Right? Mm -hmm. You know there are some TSA people who love their job because they get to pat people down. Mm -hmm. Or you know there are fucking uh, nurses who love doing certain things because they get to... T or, you know, gynecologists has always been one of the jokes, right? Right, <laughs> right. So it's like, people are creepy. And I've had services done where it's like, the person's being really weird with me. And it's like, I didn't come here for this. I came here to get this thing done. And <laughs> you're... So, Yeah. That's wild. I don't know. But anyway, so, you know, kudos to Lucy Liu for speaking up way back when before that was even mm. <laughs> popular on the set of Charlie's Angels. But. Moving on, films released we didn't cover, Decision to Leave. Yes, which, you know, probably should have been something we did because it's, to me, that's a major new release from Park Chan-wook uh, being released by movie. I saw it at Cannes and I liked it overall. I think it's a little long, um, <clears throat> but I think you would have enjoyed it. But that did come out. Next, The Loneliest Boy in the World. The Loneliest Boy in the World. That is directed by somebody named... Uh, I'm forgetting his name now. Um, Martin... Person. Huh? A person. A person. Oh, Martin Owen. No. Yeah, Martin Owen. A cat director. Uh, <laughs> and it stars Hero Finds Tiffin, who is... Uh, is he the nephew or son of Ray Finds? Anyway, the, we saw him as one of the Portuguese uh, slave traders in The Woman King recently. Oh, that's him. Mm -hmm. Okay. So those two we didn't get to. All right. Movies you watch for fun. Something called <clears throat> The Kiss. Yeah, someone recommended this on something... I don't in, in, maybe in, maybe a live <clears throat> video we did. No, you would you did a premiere video and you were chatting with somebody, I think, and that I think it was in regards to a question came up in a review about like are there ever like sexy because it was in um Don't Look at the Demon where you where you, I think you questioned like Oh I went on a rant about are there any like possession films that are actually like erotic yes yes and somebody had recommended the kiss which isn't really a possession film but i think vampire films and this is kind of the kiss is kind of a bizarre weird vampire even maybe werewolf movie that i really liked and i watched a terrible and this actually relates to the bill murray conversation um because it's out of print on dvd and i found a version on youtube that was part of Joe Bob Briggs's program. And the actresses in the film, the actors in the film, Joanna Pakula and Meredith Salinger. Uh, Pakula is a very interesting, she's from Poland. And uh, the film Anna is based on her experiences uh, coming, moving to uh, New York and kind of being the mentee of this very notable Polish actor, 
that had lived here years prior. Anyway, uh, she's the star. And Joe Bob Briggs, I don't know if you remember his show. It was kind of like a, it was not like Tales from the Crypt, but he would introduce these movies and give like body counts and like kill ratios and et cetera. And then there was some sexy woman or presented to us as sexy that, uh, that read the mail that came to Joe Bob Briggs, whatever. And he was kind of this Southern fried gentleman. The way he was talking about Joanna Pakula <clears throat> and how he wanted, like basically insinuating all these things about, you know, sleeping with her and Meredith Salinger. It's because this probably aired in the late nineties, early two thousands is so uncomfortable. <laughs> anyway, I would love to see this film on um, a better print, but I had a lot of fun with it. And uh, yeah, it, it's bizarre. There's weird incest issues. Yeah. Something called I Came By. Yes. Uh, this came out August 31st on Netflix. It's the third film directed by Babak and Vari, who I believe uh, is from Iran, but has made three films now outside of uh, his native country. The first being Under the Shadow, which I saw at Sundance in 2016 and really liked. Uh, I recently caught up with Wounds. We talked about it on our podcast with Army Hammer, uh, which I also really liked, but is now, you know, the legacy of that film is doomed because of you know who. In uh, his third film, I Came By, were you, you were in the room when I think was watching some of this. It's about those two uh, young guys in London who are taggers or however you call them. And they have made a habit of breaking into rich people's homes and spraying graffiti on their wall saying, I came by. And this one of them happens to go into the home of this ex-judge. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> Actually, yes. Played by Hugh. Because that was kind of riveting what yeah. I did see. Played by Hugh Bonneville. And he is gay, like Dahmer, and is locking men up in the basement. And he kills this guy and grinds him up to dust. And the guy's mother, played by Kelly McDonald, who's an actress that I always find very watchable. Actor. Now I feel like. Actor. Uh, she goes on a search for her son and ends up being murdered as well. Anyway, that is a really uh, interesting film currently on Netflix. Sorry, I had to step away because the cat was harassing us. Uh, <clears throat> next, you decided after we watched... Did we watch... Two? We, we watched Terrifier 2 first. We watched Terrifier 2 first in the theater. We had to pay for that. Um, and then, yeah. <laughs> which I don't mind. Um, but after... I think as soon as we came home, I We've, put on Terrifier. Mm -hmm. uh, so what did you think? Uh, again, I, much like I said in the Terrifier 2 review, I think that is an interesting lead character that deserves a better origin story or what the hell is going on here and yeah. to orient us in a way that, you know, watching people be viciously slaughtered, it's like, okay, I, I can watch that, but, you know, it'd be a lot more effective if we were actually led to care about them to any degree. Um, it, yeah, but the the one scene that really stands out is when he you know, has that woman like hanging upside down in chains and then, you know, cuts her in half, which is really gross. But, yeah. um, I don't know, like I've said before, I'm not a, I'm not really into torture porn or gratuitous anything. I'm, you know, I think you, it's like a good horror, some of the best horror films, you don't actually see the creature, right? Because it's playing, what's much more horrific is what your mind does to you. Uh, and, and I think there's something to be said for that. And also, I find it, you know, it's like the Midnight Madness crowd at the Toronto Film Festival. It's just people want to scream and shout and let it all out and kind of, mm, it, it, it's an arena 
to where they can give voice to strange behaviors. Like even the people sitting next to us at Terrifier 2 is this all the Yeah, we had to sit because we had to pay and then we I you know, I arrogantly didn't think that this movie would be sold out. So um we just showed up mm-hmm. at the theater and it was sold out. So we had to sit in the front row, right in front of this big ass screen. And the crowd was very interesting. It was very like how would you describe it? Like, um, it looked like the like all the kids when I was in high school who shopped at like uh, hot, hot, topic, hot topic, but yeah. now they're like my age, like so in their forties <laughs> with back problems and um and help help a lot of ladies with like very blonde thin hair and then um, uh, a gentleman with a dog on his lap. Oh my god! Then these so on your side there were these two guys, one who brought a dog with him, and then on my side this. That dog wanted to leave so many times. Um, that poor dog, like, sitting there with all this loud noise. And the person next to me, you know how people drink a lot and they just smell like the alcohol is, like, like they're just aspirating they're, it. They're, and they're permeating. fermented, They yeah. smell fermented. And he was very animated. Like, mm-hmm. every creepy thing, he would jump and scream. The combination of him doing all the excessive squirming and then smelling like the floor of a bar was really off-putting and then the men next to me like somebody gets their penis stabbed off basically and they're like yeah cut it off they were like beavis and butthead could put it in her mouth like oh my god shut up but i'm not being judgy i do like you know i probably am less torture porn can be interesting just to but for me it's a lot like i like the technical aspect of it like how did they achieve this to make it look realistic but like I've said before, it needs to have the connective tissue needs to like give me a story. Yeah, there has otherwise to be, I just feel like what did I just watch? There has to be <laughs> something there that I'm interested in. What is this saying about something? Anything? And Terrifier and Terrifier Two don't say much. But yeah, that's a very creepy uh, clown mime. Yeah. Lastly, you watch something called Mikey. Yeah, I, I think you know it's Halloween, and I've been forced to watch all this other non. You know, a lot of other film stuff going on this month. And um, I put Mikey on, which is about a killer kid, because those are always fun, right? Uh, This movie's terrible and really deserves a mystery science theater type treatment. Uh, But it's directed by somebody named Dennis Dimster. It's clearly, you know, Bad Seed, Good Son ripoff, although I think it came out the year before The Good Son. But it stars this kid named Brian Bonsall, who I think, did you watch Family Ties? Yeah. He was the younger brother of Michael J. Fox in Family Ties. Oh. Uh, so he's this little kid, and I know him from a film called Blank Check that the year that came out, a young girl named Jenny, her mother called the house and said, Jenny wants to ask Nick out on a date. And my parents let me go as like a third grader to this movie with this girl named Jenny. Anyway, <clears throat> it's that kid. but Brian Bos- Bonsall. Yeah, but it makes no goddamn sense because it's like it's much like the film The Stepfather where apparently this this orphan child runs around and like kills whoever whatever foster family adopts him so it opens with him like slaughtering this family the way which makes no goddamn sense and then he's adopted again um in what the film calls a closed adoption like the new family would need to know that because the kid's not suspected because he's a nine-year-old but it's like the new family would need to know what happened to a child that to that degree in America in 1992. <laughs> but what is the movie called? Mikey. Mikey, that's right. Uh, but it, but it's not good. And uh, that creepy kid, the kid gives a creepy little performance. Also, Wes Craven's wife stars in it. Um, 
Oh. Yeah, uh, I'm forgetting her name, but apparently she's good friends with Sharon Stone. Okay, so projects of interest. Something with Isabelle Huppert. <gasps> Isabelle Huppert. Dario Argento, because uh, his new film Dark Glasses was released this week, which is not good. But he said that he is remaking a Mexican film from the 1940s, a, a genre movie. Not which hasn't revealed which one that's going to start Isabel Huppert uh, and going to lens in spring 2023. So that, no matter if it's not good, should be interesting because she's not she doesn't really do horror. She's done horrific things in her films, but she hasn't done she doesn't really do genre. Greta, yeah, Greta counts, and everybody calls that a camp fest, and I do enjoy her in that. The Gorge. Scott Derrickson, who I know you like Sinister. I'm not. Yeah. I like. Three fourths of the film Sinister. Uh, did he do Black? Phone? He did the Black Phone. I didn't like the Black, Black Phone. Black Phone is, I thought, was caca except for creepy Ethan Hawke, and he did the first Doctor Strange. He is doing a new film called The Gorge, uh, which Anya Taylor Joy and Miles Teller are signed on to. Oh, elevation. Uh, George Nolfi, who directed The Banker, which I still haven't seen with Sammy Jackson and Anthony Mackie, he's reuniting with Anthony Mackie for this new sci-fi thriller that's also going to star Morena Baccarin, who you know as Deadpool's girlfriend, and was also just in The Good House with Sigourney. The Naked Gun. Akiva Schaffer, who directed The Watch and Never Stop, Never Stop Trying, whatever that weird pop star movie was with Andy Samberg a few years ago. He's remaking The Naked Gun with Liam Neeson. Hmm. Barbarella. Uh, no director attached yet, but th- for decades, some people have been trying to remake Barbarella. I remember when I was in junior high, like 97, 98, I remember Drew Barrymore was going to be in a remake, I think, which probably, thank God, that never happened. But now Sidney Sweeney apparently is attached to a remake. Uh, Mother Couch? Uh, I don't know the director, Nicholas Larson, but Taylor Russell, uh, who I liked in Waves and is quite good in Bones and All, uh, has just signed on to a film called Mother Couch that interestingly also stars Ellen Burstyn, a perennial favorite of mine, and Ewan mm. McGregor. Oh, I like him. Something that I probably can't pronounce, Lay Indesirables? Lay Indesirables, probably uh, more. <laughs> it's uh, Ladge Lee's new film who directed Les Miserables, which is not an adaptation of the Hugo novel. Uh, it's about, you know, uh, relations between policemen and... Uh, the people of color living in various projects in France that came out a couple years ago. He's he's directing a new film called Lay Indesirable. Something called Dow. <clears throat> Elaine Gomez, who uh, his last film was Felicite, which I think was in Berlin in 2017. Uh, he's got a new project called Dow. And then Elaine Giraudy, a favorite of mine who directed Stranger by the Lake, which I know you liked, has a new project he's uh, collecting funds for called uh, Misericord. Misericord? Like yeah. Okay. I'm sure there will be a he he was just in Berlin with uh, in the panorama section called Nobody's Hero this year. All right. Unfortunately, there are entries in the obituary <coughs> section. Angela Lansbury. Yeah, she Angela finally got taken down by life. Yeah, I don't. I don't. Probably everything I know about Angela Lansbury is from RuPaul being such a big murder, she sat down and she wrote fan. Mm-hmm. But I don't, and I remember that show as a kid, but I've never seen it. Really? Okay. And I, then I know that she's in the original... Um, Manchurian Candidate? No. Yes. Oh. <laughs> but the one with Isabelle Huppert that was remade, um, where she's like the old maid, goes to Paris... Oh, Mrs. Harris Goes to Paris. Yes, Angela, that was a TV film. Uh, yes. 
but that's all I know about her. <laughs> wow. Okay. And then she made some comment, like some anti-gay comments back in the day. Well, she was in Gaslight, which you've seen with Ingrid oh, Bergman. Okay. Uh, as a young woman. And no, the, the, what you're referencing is she was offered Robert Aldrich, who directed whatever happened to baby Jane offered her, um, this Susanna York role in the killing of sister George, uh, which is a, a lesbian film, which I highly recommend if you haven't seen, I think Kino Lorber has it on Blu-ray. Uh, that might have to be a secret film sometime. It's fascinating. And I think it got an X rating at the time because it shows, it's one of the first times you see like lesbian underground bars in London. And this is like 1968, I think. Uh, but Angela Lansbury was offered that role and she made a lot of very public comments about how offended she was at even being offered such trash, which I think I carried. And I, I think I learned about that through Vito Russo's celluloid closet. And, and I know she, I think she apologized or tried to atone for her homophobia. Uh, but there were a lot of, you know, a lot of them did that. Sylvester Stallone did that in the early 80s saying, like, we don't play fags. And it's like, I don't know. Like, to me, there's something about doing the right thing at the time when it's most important to do the right thing, which I don't think Angela Lansbury did. But sure, she made her piece. Wow. And a lot of homosexuals seem to really like her. But let's, we, not, let's not forget. We need to move on. Robbie Coltrane is dead. Robbie Coltrane, who uh, played Hagrid in the Harry Potter films. Uh, which of which you've only seen one. Yeah, I'm not familiar. But my mother used to watch his television series, Cracker, where he plays a detective. He plays a cracker? No. Well, he is a cracker. A salty. <laughs> uh, uh, lastly, Austin Stoker. Austin Stoker, who was in several black exploitation films, notably Sheba Baby with Pam Greer. Okay. Uh, but he's probably best known for John Carpenter's Assault on Precinct, Thir- Precinct 13. Uh, he died this week, too. Oh, I need, I need to look him up. I'm sure you you might recognize him. Uh, I don't straight away, but um, I'll, I'll need to do further research. The original Assault on Precinct 13 is great. The remake's crap. But okay, this week the secret film was your selection. Mm-hmm. You chose the 1965 British psychological horror film Repulsion, directed <laughs> by Roman Polanski, his sophomore known, film, uh, sexual offender. He is again. Okay, let's get this out. of <laughs> No, the way. we can't because we only have like seventeen. No, minutes. I mean, I, I'm you? not, I'm not going to condone statutory rape, but he is, I think, one of the greatest film directors that ha- has ever been, and I really like a lot of his films. So I wouldn't go on strike against this person because there are a lot of people who've done bad things who are still out here working. I mean, the person who made my Chipotle burrito may have attacked someone. Yeah, like, I, I don't, don't know. So, you know, all I can do is just, I guess, consume what. I you know I don't know that's a bigger conversation I haven't thought about it except that I think yeah I I wouldn't be in protest against Roman Polanski because then that also means like so then all these Weinstein movies do I need to not watch the anything that this person that, that person ever touched or because it's like you're also taking away from like the other artists who worked on it and all the the crew and like everyone who worked hard on this project because the one person who sort of led it is you know. Vile, I don't know. Well, if it helps your conscience, this is before he did all that. No, it doesn't. But, okay, so why did you choose this movie? It's a favorite of mine. I haven't watched it in years. And I think that um, besides The Hunger, I don't think I've ever really uh, shown you Catherine Deneuve, who is a, a, an absolute favorite of mine. And she lords over us in the kitchen in a lovely Belle de Jour poster. You know, I couldn't have told you that's who that was. I couldn't <laughs> even have told you that poster's in the kitchen. <laughs> and I'm literally staring at it right now. Well, she's looking at you. Right I know now. there's a poster above the beverage refrigerator, but I 
Yeah, I guess I never realized who that was. <laughs> I don't know who it is in the Ma Mare portrait. That's Isabelle Huppert. I couldn't have told you that either. Wow. Well, well it is. Okay. Okay, Repulsion. Uh, the story is very simple. Catherine Deneuve <clears throat> plays a woman named Carol. It's set in like the 60s. What what country are they in? They're in London. They're in the UK? Yeah. Okay. And, and it's, she's, it's notable they reveal that she's uh, Francophile from Belgium. Her and her sister. Okay. So anyway, so Carol uh, lives in London. She works as a manicurist in this huge spa. And we see right away that she is sort of like despondent, flat, um, awkward. She lives with her sister and her sister's dating this guy. And it's clear that Carol doesn't like the fact that this guy comes to the house. And the film is shot in a very deliberate way. It's very slow and quiet, which we can talk about the yeah, sound the, editing. The sound design is but very important. We yeah. see her devolve um, very slowly up to a point, <laughs> and then it just goes very, it's, it's very rapid. So initially we see her like working on a manicure, and then, you know, her co-worker is like, girl, did you just fall asleep? Like, <laughs> what are you doing? And we see her zoning out, like looking into space. We see that there's this man who's very fond of her, and invites her on a date and she's awkward and then she misses a date because she's just like sitting in a park bench staring at the ground staring at cracks in the ground yeah and then uh she ends up missing work for a few days comes back and then has an incident where she cuts a customer's finger so she sort of like locks herself in the house for a while and then the guy who likes her shows up and it's because he's checking on her he's worried and she won't let him in so he breaks down the door and Carol kills him, mm -hmm. throws his ass in the, in the tub. bathtub. But it's important to know that her sister has left for like a few weeks to go on a trip to, I believe, Paris with her boyfriend. So Carol's at home her alone. Her married boyfriend, yeah. Yeah. Carol's at home alone. And so she's locked herself in there. There's food rotting, flies flying around. Now there's this dead man in the tub. But an important plot point is they're behind on their rent. So the landlord's supposed to come and pick up cash. And he does. And she supplies the rent. But then, of course, the landlord's a creep and sort of makes a move on her. And she ends up killing him. Mm -hmm. Slices him. And we can talk about what we think this movie is. But her sister ends up returning home. And there's a big commotion because, of course, we see a dead body. And we only see the one. They haven't even discovered the second dead body, mm -hmm. which she hides under a couch. Um, and that's the end. So, of course, we assume that this woman is either going to an insane asylum or to prison. And notably, uh, it starts with a, a zoom out of Deneuve's eye and then a zoom in on a portrait of her as a young child. So, you know, obviously this is a portrait of a woman suffering from severe mental health issues. I think, you know, for this character, it seems like a lot of it circles... Uh, this is, you know, I, so I watched this as a teenager when I first started becoming fascinated by Deneuve. And that's the first time I remember having conversations with my mother, at least, about frigidity uh, and sexual frigidity and, you know, as something only a woman can experience, you know, and, and how this film was kind of turning on that. Uh, you know, I'm not a psychologist or a psychiatrist, but I'd be interested to know what mental health professionals think about this portrayal, because to me, it seems like the person who wrote it, 
I feel like they, they... They're sort of linking, like, her trauma as a young girl related to maybe, like, sexual assault to why she has this aversion to men. But then also the symptoms she's exemplifying seem more like she's schizophrenic, which is, like, not... Situate like it's not environmental like like that's genetic and well it's certainly attachment issues with the family and she's, biological she's overly attached to her sister who she's begging not to leave and then that's when literally there are all these cracks she sees in the facade of, inside the apartment become you know gaping holes right sure but I was saying that to say that I still think that it's a it, it seems like a very um, mannered way to tell this story because I feel like if this movie were remade by today's remake standards, they would just make her seem like a lunatic. Mm -hmm. And I think the Polanski film, it Carol does seem like a woman who is deeply affected and sick. And I, it, I don't know. I don't want to use the word like respectful, but it, it, it definitely feels like it's, it's, um, it's not sensationalizing this woman's issue to make like a horror film. It's really more sort of like a psychological yeah, and I think the Deneuve performance Story is, is very good. That is horrific. Yes. Uh, but yeah, they're giving her a lot of symptoms, like with food, for instance. Like she, There's the scene with the fish and chips where she's not really eating. And then, of course, this rotting rabbit carcass that's... Yeah, and then we see her like get ready for work one day. And she... like. I like the look of the film and their kitchen. There's like a setup where they've had coffee and toast. And there's like a cup of coffee that clearly is not hot. And she drops like eight sugar cubes in there <laughs> and barely mixes it. And you know sugar cubes don't melt if the liquid's not hot. And then she just drinks it and she's ready to go. And then later on, we see her, she just eats the sugar cube. <laughs> yeah. So that's... And this crackers, she's like... To me, that seems very much like she is just trying to get from one moment to the next. Like she just need, she knows she needs like, like calories to get her yeah. going. Um I found her character very frustrating, but in a, like I was sympathetic towards her, but it was just frustrating thinking that my overall thought was, you know, the 1960s, our understanding of mental health issues was more limited than it is today. And there's less awareness. So people are less sensitive and like her coworker, her boss who are trying to be. Her boss is actually quite nice. It's quite nice to her, but yeah. they, they, they would have had no way to, you know, articulate what might be happening to her. And certainly there were probably no resources, mm -hmm. you know, to, to deal with this. So I, I just felt very sad for her. Like, Well, if you feel sad for her and, you know, whatever kind of trauma probably maybe happened to her. I got the sense that her dad might have abused her because we look at this photo of her more than once as a child with her family and you see that she's like kind of standing behind the person who would be her dad, I guess. Mm -hmm. And she's looking like away she from him. She looks disturbed. She looks disturbed. So I assumed, and then because of course she seems repulsed. I mean, it's called repulsion. Yeah. She seems repulsed by men mm -hmm. and like men touching her. And so I, you know, I'm assuming that we're supposed to put those two things well, together. And it's about men invading her space, right? Cause yeah. she's upset that this, this married lover, who you know is very forward and forthcoming is like using her toothbrush cup and it, you know this is the first film notably where uh, the British censors allowed the sound of a woman's orgasm because that's one of the first things we is notable in the sound design is her sister having sex in the room next to her and this and Carol can hear her sister um, but in both the men she kills you know they've invaded her space yeah yeah. I mean, you know, there's a lot to talk about in this film. I didn't take any notes, uh, one, because I was super tired, but also the film, the, the way it's shot and the flow of it, it's, it's, 
It's very slow to a point. It's very slow. And then all of a sudden it's just like, oh, oh, we're killing people now. Okay. I did think it was excellent, but... What did you... So Deneuve, I think, is just such a beautiful woman. And, I like, I find her so transfixing to look at. Uh, I think she was, very like, very well cast for the role because she is beautiful, so... She fit, she checks all the boxes of being desirable, but also she has sort of like a sad face mm-hmm. that's, but, but she's not dead behind the eyes, but she clearly is like, her mind is not there. They, and I used to, like I've said a million times, I used to work in a psychiatric ward and like, uh, not that I know what I'm talking about, except that I'm very familiar with being with people who are like not present. Mm-hmm. And I thought she did a good job of mimicking that she was always criticized and still is for being an icy cold blonde glacial blonde and uh, you know playing with the 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 tropes of hitch the hitchcock blonde which she was supposed to be in a hitchcock film before he died uh this is considered one of the this and i think belle de jour with bunuel's uh considered the only lots of people say they're the only ones where you really kind of get beyond her exterior but i don't think you do in this because you barely know carol but i think her performance is great do you want to talk more about this film Sure. Okay, so we need to pause one second. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You know, I can only go so long without a break. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, continue. I, I really like that, like that jangly jazz score from Chico Hamilton. Uh, and also the sound is that it's about all these noises kind of encroaching on her comfort. The last live video we did. Um, oh, we forgot one of the sorry to this man things now that I'm talking about it. Uh, the last live video we did, one of the questions someone asked was about seeing in a movie in a theater versus whatever. And I think, like, now that I've seen Repulsion, I would definitely... I, I would see it in a theater if it were playing at, like, the New Beverly or something. Which is probably the only place, yeah. Be, because I think the sound editing is really interesting. Which is interesting, too, because I think the sound editing is so important. Another really excellent film about a woman losing her mind in Robert Altman's Images with Susanna York. Mm. I've with, seen that, right? I don't know if you've seen that. Oh, no, I'm thinking of the one... What's the movie... Where the li- windows? Oh, with um, uh, what's her name from Rocky? Yes. Um, where someone's staring at her through the window, obviously. <laughs> oh no, that's a that's a lesbian uh, horror film, which is is really great. Elizabeth Allen, I think, is the woman trying. But it's called to, Windows. It's called Windows. Yes, that's well, the why one. can't I think of her name? I don't know. But uh, Talia Shire. Yes, that's what I'm th- anyway. talking about. Um, Yes, the sound, I felt like, again, what do I know about people with these sort of mental issues? Except that sitting watching the film, I really felt like I was witnessing someone and sort of like their preoccupation with like the details that are distracting them from living their life. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Like she can't get on with the business of living her life because she's just like preoccupied with nothing. Mm -hmm. And the film does a good job of basically presenting like this nothingness like it's cracking sounds and you know chittering and, mm-hmm. and the random musical notes and water and, dripping and she's basically a blank slate for for all we know really and i think that and yeah like we don't know much about her at all and her yeah 
There's that one, the one scene that's kind of creepy where it's the only scene where she's laughing where her coworkers trying to tell her to go oh, see the, the Charlie the Chaplin, Chaplin movie. Film. That was uncomfortable because yeah. like she's almost mimicking. She's like an alien trying to mimic a human. Like, <laughs> oh, you're laughing. I'm gonna laugh too. Yeah, it's really bad. Um, and, and, and then the friend goes to check her purse, and like the rabbit's head is. <laughs> she had cut off that part of the yeah. Because her sister was, the sister's boyfriend had brought her like fresh rabbit to cook, Mm -hmm. but then the sister didn't cook it because the boyfriend came early. So now they have this dead rabbit in the refrigerator and Carol takes it out. And of course it becomes like infested with maggots and flies. But at a point, Carol cuts off the head and she just has it in her purse. Yeah. (laughs) And there's also these potatoes we see, which potatoes go bad very fast once they start going. I guess it's been a long time since I've seen a rotten potato because I didn't realize they go bad so fast. Oh, no. Like, I get those... I make sweet potatoes all the time, as you know. And if some of them I buy, and if I haven't made them in two days, they start to rot. Oh, it's, I didn't know it's that. It's insane. Um, I love how it's shot. shot by Gilbert Taylor, uh, who uh, made was the cinematographer on The Omen. I think Polanski, uh, I think, has made comments about how he doesn't think Repulsion is one of his best works. And he was trying to make a hit... Because this is after his early success with Knife in the Water. And he wanted them to collect funding. Because the producers of this film previously made pornography. Oh. Um, also notable, uh, Deneuve learned English. To do, she, she didn't speak English before this film. Oh, good for her. Um, and it's, it's so weird watching her now years later, um, kind of stumbling around in a daze. She looks like, because now I've seen her daughter, uh, Chiara Mastrani, in many films, and her daughter really does kind of look like her a lot when when she was younger as well. I thought the production, you know, there's some handheld camera work, I'm assuming, like when she's walking through the streets of London that mm. is a little shaky, and but I, I, I think it's, it's well done. Mm-hmm. Especially like the imagery of like the walls cracking. The walls cracking. And there's a moment when she's touching the walls and it feels like her, it looks like her hand is melting into the wall. Yeah, I like that a lot. I, there's also hands coming out and groping her, which is very like Cocteau's Beauty and the Beast. Yes. So I thought that all was very well done. But overall, I just. So, and this is considered the first of his apartment theme trilogy because you have after the he did cul de sac after this with which is not part of the trilogy with uh, Deneuve's sister Francoise Dorliac who died terribly in a car accident uh, just a couple years like sixty eight I think or sixty seven and then he did Rosemary's Baby and then of course the Tenant which you need to see is oh I haven't seen the Tenant no the Tenant is great too oh. but uh, probably the least well known of these three. Because uh, this is very well revered, there's a lot of comparisons. Is the Tenant a, a horror film? Yeah, mm-hmm. oh. and Isabella Johnny's in it, uh, and I think Polanski. What year is that? Like '75, oh. or somewhere around there. Um, the opening credits where Polanski's name slices across Deneuve's eyeball is. Some have said that it's a reference to Bunuel's uh, Unshin, the Andalusian dog, with the famous slicing of the eyeball open. And of course, Deneuve only two years later would be in Belle de Jour, one of her signature roles, but directed by Bunuel. Um, yeah, it, it, you know what? Because we just had watched uh, The Banshees of Inisherin about two siblings in isolation and kind of going mad. I thought of that film uh, watching since we just watched it so recently. I think this film feels very unique. I, I can't... I mean, there... What's the movie with um, Willem Dafoe and Robert Pattinson? Oh, The uh, the Lighthouse? Lighthouse? The Lighthouse, yeah. Yeah, I, I don't I don't know. Repulsion... Like, watching it for the first time, it felt fresh. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, like, I, it, it just made me think how... How easily... 
an individual. I feel like we're all just like walking on thin ice. It doesn't take much, especially if you have a genetic predisposition or your biochemistry, you know, like all like many of us are just hanging on by a thread. And when things go south, there isn't a lot of support, like unless you have friends and family who can only do so much mm -hmm. like, yes, she has a sister, but that sister has to live her life. Um, it's just scary. Like that in itself is scary to watch this person devolve and there really is no turning back. And yeah, that character of Carol, I don't, even if she hadn't have killed those two men, you know, she wasn't going to be okay. No, like, she so. was not going to be okay. Um, the, the scene where she slices up the landlord, I think is effectively shot as well. Cause I think that, and there's one yeah. scene where she's walking that where Deneuve is walking down the street and she, she has this tick that she's starting to touch her face and um, she does something with her eyes that just like, just for just the briefest seconds, like, oh my God, <laughs> like, oh. she's, she's out of it. But um, yeah, I don't know. It, it, it's a favorite, I, I, as I said, like it's a favorite from my youth. Um, but I remember, you know, the first time watching Repulsion is something for sure. I would say if a person hasn't seen it, you need to be like, you know, ready. Yeah. Like, don't watch it if you're a little tired. <laughs> You should sure. be in the mood. We started it too late, yes. Yeah, it was a very long day yesterday, but I did enjoy it. I would give it like four out of five. Yeah, I think it's it, it, it's considered a masterpiece and yeah, I don't know. Okay, uh, so what, this is a busy week because <clears throat> I'm leaving for a cruise on Friday. Mm -hmm. We are going to, I'll, we'll record a podcast on Thursday evening mm -hmm. for next week. I don't know what that'll be about. I'm sure we'll watch a movie. Yeah, there's a lot to... Maybe I'll choose something fun. Oh, boy. Yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> sorry. Uh, yeah, there's a lot to get through still for this week. If you, We have the new Julia Roberts, George Clooney. Ugh, I'm only watching it because I feel like I haven't watched something like that in so long. Mm -hmm. And I feel like, like... I feel like it's going to take me back to like... I feel like we're going to... 1995. I feel like we're going to be okay with that, though. <laughs> you know, I don't have negative... Th I know you don't care for Julia Roberts. I don't really have a thought about her and then George Clooney seems like a cool dude I mean yeah he's fine the fact that um, Julia Roberts won an Oscar for Aaron Brockovich over Ellen Burstyn in Requiem for a Dream is embarrassing I think but wow uh, so we need to watch that we're going to watch Black Adam Black Adam Black Adam mm -hmm. uh, and what else are we watching oh god I don't know there, there are a few other things I'm excited to see The Stranger with Joel Edgerton because also it doesn't help that Netflix is releasing three things midweek this week the Good Nurse, which I think I have to see next week. Oh, speaking of that, one of the sorry to this man things we forgot is we reviewed The School for Good and Evil. Oh, yeah. Which yeah. comes out on Wednesday. So by the so before the next Oh, well actually this podcast is gonna come out before the video. So really this will no, be No, the sorry. video comes out Wednesday. Right, but this podcast is coming out before. Right, right. So really this would be a sorry to this man for next week. But we forgot to mention in the video that the main character Aggie mm -hmm. we didn't mention that like our cat's name is Aggie is Aggie. that why you wrote that down yeah Aggie's our oh. cat but also strangely Aggie has a sphinx cat in the film oh and then Aggie actually has a sphinx cat yes so I, I feel stupid that we didn't think to mention that in the review video yeah not, well there were too many things to complain about <laughs> I did not like that movie what yeah. a waste do you have anything else uh no 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 okay bye bye Thank <laughs> you.